0: and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Stop me. You've heard this before. Time to get out of the boat. For those of you who've been hanging around Christ Redeemer for a while, you know how important this passage has been in our efforts to plant this church as Dr out of the turbulent waters of an emerging denominational division some years ago. And while that application of today's Scripture has and will continue to serve us well, this morning I want us to free our mind of that particular thought, at least for a few minutes, that we may return to this story with fresh eyes and see what Jesus would say to us today. And as we do, I invite us to look at today's gospel reading through the lens of this particular paradigm. God uses the natural world to reveal his supernatural purposes. God uses this natural world to reveal his supernatural purposes. This is a central theme of scripture. We see it in the Old and New Testaments alike. It was evident last week, as Jesus used five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, and it's evidenced again today on the waters of the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus again uses this natural world to reveal his supernatural purposes. Entering the story, Jesus has just dismissed the crowds from the feeding of the 5,000. And he also dismisses the disciples, telling them to get into the boat, to go on to the other side of the lake so that, as we are told, he can be alone. Well, not exactly alone. Well, at least in solitude, he intends to pray, to steal away from the busyness of life, the commotion, Of crowds, even the camaraderie of his friends. Why? To commune with his heavenly Father, to be with him, to talk with him, to rest in him, and oh, how much each one of us needs that. Perhaps also to discuss what will come next, what will Jesus do now? Who will need him next and how will he respond? Well, late into the night, the answer reveals itself as the winds sweep across the surface of the waters, whipping up the waves against the disciples' boat. But look carefully, look carefully, for this story is not primarily about Jesus calming the storm. That story is actually told in Matthew chapter 8. This story is found a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 14, where yes, there is a necessary emphasis on Jesus' dominion over nature, a declaration that He is in fact God, but it comes more in the form of Jesus walking on the water than it does taming the turbulent winds and calming the cantankerous waves. In fact, In fact, Jesus is actually going to invite Peter into the storm and to use it as a lesson. To teach us to trust him, to have faith in him, even in the midst of the storm, as he once again, yes, uses this natural world to reveal his supernatural purposes. It should be no surprise That when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, they were terrified, even saying it is a ghost. And then, as the scripture says, crying out in fear, well, wouldn't you? And now they perceived that they had two problems. They might drown and a ghost had come to harass them on their way to their death. But lest we think we might have thought any differently than they did, as one fellow said in our men's Bible study this past Monday, how easy it is for us to become afraid. No, this morning he corrected me and said, terrified. Terrified was the word he used. A bad report from the doctor, a war in Ukraine wildfires in Hawaii what might you add to that list as my favorite Christian artist Rich Mullins once said we are not we are not as strong as we think we are let's face it for each and every one of us fear can paralyze us to the point where it is hard to find a reason to have faith especially when we're confronted by a disaster and the possibility of death. But my friends, this is, this is exactly why. This is exactly why the, script, the Christians have studied the Scriptures throughout the centuries. This is the reason we come to worship faithfully on Sunday mornings, and it is also why we Christians share the struggles of our lives together. Because, and this is important, these are the God-given means by which we hear exactly what the disciples heard on that day and turn our fears into faith. For as the scriptures say, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. What? Do not, do not be afraid. And this, my friends, is the only God who is worthy of our worship, the one who comes to us in our time of trouble, the one who meets us in our place of need, the one who calls to us with words of comfort and assurance. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's really just the beginning of it. For now, we ask ourselves the question, what really is our deepest Place of need? What really is our deepest place of need? Is it only to be saved from the storms that we encounter in this life? The answer unfolds before us as we now turn our attention to Peter. Impetuous and inconsistent as he is before the crucifixion, yet seeking the kind of assurance from God that we all want for ourselves, he cries out to Jesus in reply, Lord, if it is you, if it is you, command me to come onto the water. Just ridiculous is the only word I can think of to describe that. And yet as Jesus had taken charge over the water, Jesus now takes command of Peter's fears. Using this natural world to reveal his supernatural purposes, Jesus bids him with one word, come, come, come. My friends, don't don't miss this moment, please. For God is present with us right here, right now in this, our moment. And he's speaking to us through these events that he ordained 2,000 years ago. And he's inviting us to consider our own journey of faith in relationship to Peter. Would I dare display a faith like Peter's? Would I, in fact, get out of the boat? You see, our faith is not merely An intellectual faith, it's a volitional faith. Why? Because it's a relational faith. And you see, so here's the point it's the most important one. Will we take Jesus at His word? Will we trust Him? Will we respond with faith when Jesus calls us? Or will we remain paralyzed by our own doubts and our own fears? That's the essence. So as the story draws to a close, we are shown this stark contrast between faith and fear that we're supposed to see. For Peter does get out of the boat. He too starts to walk on the water and then something happens, something that we're all given to do. He starts to feel the wind on his face, the scripture says. He becomes afraid and he begins to sink. The point, of course, as you know, is that we're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus no matter what. When we're tempted to turn again to the troubled and transitory problems of this life, don't take your eyes off Jesus or you will surrender to the storm. But even as he's sinking, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And so he does. Mercifully, Jesus reaches down. He takes hold of Peter's hand, and he says to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And he takes Peter back into the boat with him where the other disciples are waiting. And now, only now are we told, do the winds stop? And the scripture says, they worship him. Appropriately enough, the story ends in worship. Only we cannot end without asking the meaning of this salvation unto worship. Do you follow me here? Was Jesus merely saving Peter from the temporal storm that might have taken his life? Or was Jesus using this natural world to reveal an even greater supernatural purpose? You see, the rest of Peter's story goes something like this. Peter would one day die as untold numbers of people are dying in Ukraine right now. As too many people recently died in the wildfires in Hawaii. As you and I will all face our own death one day. So it cannot be, it cannot be that Jesus was simply saving Peter from an earthly storm on the Sea of Galilee. No. Jesus was forging in Peter the kind of faith that would stand firm against the spiritual storms of hell. For one day Peter would stand trial before the kings and the kingdoms of this world, and under the pain of his own death, he would have to answer one simple question. Tell me, Peter. Who is Lord? Who is Lord? Is it this Jesus who we crucified as a common criminal? Or is it the Caesar that you can see before you, who rules over everything you see, who holds the power of your life in his hand? And as Peter's own life must have surely flashed before his very eyes in that moment, I bet he thought about some things, don't you? Surely he thought about that storm on the sea, and the time he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. But now, as you know, this was the ultimate test of faith, the kind each and every one of us has to wrestle down in our own hearts. For the same Jesus who saved Peter from the storm also said to him and says to us, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. But know this, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do you think Peter thought about that in that moment? History tells us what Peter chose. Peter did not deny the Jesus who loved him so much that he gave his life for Peter who actually holds our lives, our eternal lives in his hands. Peter decided that it was better to die an earthly death at the hand of Caesar for declaring that Jesus is Lord than to suffer an eternal death in hell apart from Jesus for saying that he's not. I wanna end this way. It won't surprise you to know that I myself think a lot about this story. Especially now that I've had the privilege of going to the Sea of Galilee three times now. This is where that actually happened. It's where that actually happened. And so, yes, I still find myself asking the question would I get out of the boat? But not just for the sake of planting a church, as right and good as that is, but would I get out of the boat? Will I hear the word of God and obey it no matter what the storm may be? And importantly, no matter what everybody else in the boat may be thinking or doing. Will I fix my eyes on Jesus or will I falter because of the wind and the waves of this world? Because in the end, my friends, the final truth of the matter is this. We are not always going to be saved from the storms of this natural world. As a good friend of mine once said to me, we're either walking out of one storm or we're walking into another one. How often that's true in our lives. But for all who trust Jesus, this is the truth, we will be saved out of this natural and broken world. Knowing that God is using the storms of this life, whatever they are, to show us his supernatural purposes. Will we therefore trust him? Will we take him at his word? And yes, will we get out of the boat? Will we allow him to lead us through every earthly storm and trust that by remaining faithful to him as he has been faithful to us, he will take us safely to the shores of the heavenly home that he has prepared for us? The one that St. Paul talks about. You know the one. The one that no eye has seen. The one that no ear has heard. The one that no mind has yet comprehended. But the one that God himself has prepared, as the scriptures say, for all who love him. Because he first loved us.